Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There is grandeur in this view of life. Welcome to Evolution Talk with Rick Coast, an introduction to the oldest story ever told. In this episode, I want to introduce you to someone. Actually, this someone is a thing. And this thing wiggled its way through life between two to four billion years ago. Two to four billion years ago. That's hard to wrap your mind around, isn't it? Now, if you have some time to go back to the episode on the cosmic calendar, it might help put it into perspective. But needless to say, there are a lot of questions about that little creature. But I did say I was going to introduce you. And for that, I need a name. And fortunately, I have one. Listener, meet Luca. Luca? Meet your descendant. That's right. Luca is your ancestor. But actually, to be fair, Luca isn't only your ancestor, it's everyone's. Luca is, or stands for, the last universal common ancestor to everything. Let's go back to one dark and stormy day in 1859 to visit the man who spent his life thinking about Luca and its origins. Charles Darwin didn't think of it as Luca, but he was on the right track. When he sat in his study and, and wrote about evolution, he realized that all life on Earth, all of it, must have originated from something. And that something must have been simple and unique. His thoughts took him back to an early primordial pond, and when one gazed into this pond, you wouldn't only see your reflection, you would see something else. A reflection of what you once were. Or more appropriately, what your distant ancestor once was. Therefore, I should infer from analogy that probably all the organic beings which have ever lived on this earth have descended from some one primordial form into which life was first breathed. Now to properly consider what Luca was like, we have to separate it from something else. We don't need to think about Luca's origin. That's an entirely different subject to consider and a mystery in itself. Perhaps the biggest mystery of all. Actually, I should say, not perhaps. It is the biggest mystery of all. But the mystery we've come very close to solving is what Luca might have been like after having the spark of life ignite its journey through time to us. But before we get to that and how a team of scientists began to piece together the evidence that Luca left behind, let's start with what we do know. We know that life originated on this little planet around 3.7 or 3.8 billion years ago. And we know this because of fossilized stromatolites. Stromatolites are left by cyanobacteria in the form of mats, or mat-like structures made out of sediment. These we have dated back to the 3.7 billion years ago that I mentioned. And as far as Luca goes, Luca showed up on life's doorstep somewhere around that time. 
Yes? Hi, my name is Luca. I live on the seventh floor. Oh, come on in. I was just making dinner. I hope you like spicy foods. The hotter, the better. To piece together what it was like to be Luca, scientists had to turn to phylogenetics. Basically, they followed the genes. The team, led by evolutionary biologist William Martin from the Heinrich Hein University in Dusseldorf, Germany, I probably butchered that, started their search by sifting through the genomes of 2,000 microbes that had already been sequenced. And this gave them a data set of 6 million genes to analyze. 6 million, that's a crazy amount of genes. So how do they approach this? You can't simply look at 6 million genes and find a pattern unless you're extremely and maybe miraculously lucky. What you need to start with is a theory. And they had one. It starts by reimagining how life evolved from the simple to the complex. For years, it was thought that the tree of life started with one little seed and then branched off into three directions. One branch was the bacteria, a prokaryote, meaning it was simple, or it was a simple single-celled organism with no nucleus. Now, as far as life goes, you can't do much simpler than that. The other branch, or another branch, was the archaea. Now, these are also prokaryotes. Again, single cells with no nucleus. They are different enough, though, from bacteria, like the composition of their cell walls, so different enough to fall under their own domain. The third branch was thought to be the eukarya. Now, these are special in that they are complex, multicellular, and their cells do contain a nucleus. Within the nucleus are the mitochondria, which powers the cell. So think of it like a little generator, and also the genetic code needed to make more like it. So that was the original thought. Life started and split off into those three branches, until a new thought came along. What if there were only two branches? And what if those two branches were the simple-celled archaea and bacteria? Maybe the eukarya weren't around until one enterprising archaea merged with a submissive bacteria. And what if the bacteria thrived within their archaea host long enough so that it benefited their host? And after more years than one person can humanly count, that symbiotic relationship evolved into a more complex cell with the bacteria evolving into the cell's mitochondria. I hope I haven't lost you yet. So would that mean that the eukarya weren't there from the beginning, but might have evolved from the coupling of archaea and bacteria? Why, yes. Yes, it would. Now, this is the premise that Professor Martin's team approached the 6 million genes with. Those 2,000 microbes they started with were bacteria and archaea. That gave them a place to start. And the next step, since they had chosen two separate species, was to look for genes or gene families common to both. I'm simplifying this, of course, because it wasn't easy. And they had to account for things like lateral gene transfer where bacteria swaps genetic material. And that kind of makes it hard to know at what point the genetic material was picked up. So the team had to get creative. After all, we're talking about genes and big data here. As Professor Martin put it in his lecture on big data in science at the Pontifical Academy of Sciences in 2015. So we've gone from 6 million protein sequences to 8,000 families to 1,000 to 62. It's not very much, but they provide a first glimpse of Luca's lifestyle as estimated from genomes. 
So from big data, we obtained a small result. We asked the question, but now the important thing is, can we understand the answer? Can we, is there any meaning in this or not? Can we, can we relate to other individuals? Can, is there, is this, are we, are we a, a victim of our own big data? And what did they narrow all of that data down to? 355 genes. Seems impossible, but they did it. And what those genes did was to sketch an image of what Luca was like. For the very first time in human history, we are looking through a dusty and time-smeared window at our last universal common ancestor. Charles Darwin might have envisioned a primordial pond, it was more like a primordial ocean. Now, if we were to slip into a small sub and dive deep into this ancient ocean, we'd have to make our way to a hydrothermal vent. Now, these vents spurt extremely hot water from fissures on the ocean floor. And you'll usually find them near areas high in volcanic activity. You and I wouldn't be able to stand the temperature. Most organisms can't, but Luca could. One of the genes Luca contained gave it the ability to exist in environments like this, like today's extremophiles, which are microorganisms which thrive in these type of environments. There, close to the hydrothermal vents, Luca fed on the hydrogen gas they produced. But, of course, not everyone agrees, so let's return to the surface. While Professor Martin and his teams have painted a pretty good picture and supplied both the data and an argument to support that picture's story, there are those who suggest that there's more to the story. Remember Darwin's primordial pond? Well, he may have been onto something there. Dr. John Sutherland of the University of Cambridge in England isn't opposed to Luca migrating to the ocean floor and, you know, hanging out by the hydrothermal vents, but he doesn't think Luca necessarily started there. What's missing in that scenario is something extremely important. Light. Ultraviolet light is essential to life, and the fact of the matter is it doesn't reach deep into the ocean depths. The mystery of life and Luca's presence may have started elsewhere, like Darwin's warm little pond where light could penetrate. When Luca first appeared, it may have existed in its original form for, say, a few million years until finding its way into the ocean either by chance or some catastrophic event, and then evolving to deal with the realities of existing where the sun doesn't shine. Literally. The sad truth is, we may never know. We can speculate and offer credible scenarios as to how Luca may have developed and what it was like, but that's all we have, speculation and theories. But even those ambiguities open so many doors. When it comes to understanding how life may have started, what it requires, and how it may have evolved, it allows us to consider other environments where it may have done the same. Environments found elsewhere, and not necessarily here on this earth. The more we learn, and the more possible solutions we uncover, the better our chances are that we may find we are not alone, and that Luca might even be wiggling about within another little pond on another distant planet. I don't know about you, but I find that a comforting thought. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Evolution Talk. I'm Rick Coast, 
And you can find show notes and source material used for this episode at evolutiontalk.com. I hope your week is going well. And until next time, please take care of yourself. Evolution Talk is a Rick Coast production. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy. 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.